Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. Uh, Today I want to start off with just kind of giving you some church updates on things and what's going on before we jump into the rest of the service. Uh, Right now we are continuing to look for a place uh, as we're planning on uh, hopefully finding a place where we can begin to um, engage again. And, uh, and provide an opportunity for us to gather back together. Of course, always following the guidelines um, of, uh, of Riverside and the county health officials and our local officials, uh, but it's looking positive. So appreciate you uh, praying, appreciate you looking. Uh, we're looking at everything from schools that right now we haven't been able to talk to some school districts yet. And so uh, we're trying, just trying to find a way to have uh, conversations uh, to see if we can get in there and uh, still looking for the right location. As we told you before, we were in um, Menifee off of McCall and we're looking to find a different location since we, we've been there for a few years. So uh, we're also looking at, at buildings anywhere from about 3,500 to 5,000 square feet. And so uh, we're in the midst of doing that. Again, you see anything good. Uh, definitely let us know, but uh, we're working hard in that. So appreciate you praying and seeing God already knows where he wants us. We don't know, but we really trust him. Also, we want to give you a heads up. We got a little bit of family uh, news or updates as far as um, I just talked to Randy uh, Ely this week, and uh, his wife is uh, on the front lines as a healthcare worker, and she was just tested positive for coronavirus. And right now, as far as we know, uh, the symptoms are mild. Uh, expecting a good recovery, everything looks good, but it, no doubt that's just nerve-wracking when it's close to you or it is you. And so uh, they would appreciate, her name's Emerald, so Randy and Emerald appreciate you praying. Uh, so uh, just not only just with this, but also they have a little baby and then just juggling everything. And um, so just be praying for them as a family, loving on them if you know them, uh, reaching out to them. But uh, I talked to Randy, he's like, man, I'd love for the whole church to be praying so absolutely, let's be doing that and, uh, and checking with them, making sure that they're loved on, they have everything they need. So I appreciate you doing that. Also, just want to uh, thank just one of our elders, Justin, who's uh, organized um, the opportunity for us as a church to love on one of our own as far as Arlene and her son. Uh, their home uh, needed some major work. Her son is, um, I believe in his 20s. Uh, and uh, highly autistic. And so it's a unique home to make it comfortable, to make it safe. And she needed a lot of uh, help with that. And we have experts from our church going uh, from electrical to different construction, uh, plumbing and all that. Uh, And so we just started that work and uh, we're investing uh, not only time, but making sure that financially we can buy everything that we need and, and get her ready to go. And so uh, thank you for participating. Thank you for praying. Thank you for donating that we could have the funds to make sure that we can buy what we need. And again, if you have any expertise or you know someone with expertise that wants to donate their time, uh, we would really appreciate it. And so uh, continue. You can contact me, Brian, at gotoaccesschurch.com or Justin at gotoaccesschurch.com. And you can email us and kind of let us know uh, how you can help or how we can use you. So just need to see our church loving each other, staying active in the midst of this kind of quasi lockdown and, uh, and just continue to say, what can, how can God use us and how can we shine bright when things are the darkest? Um, speaking of that, um, man, this year 
from the beginning with the coronavirus to what we have going on right now, um, as far as just um, with the protests and the riots and just even the discussions happening on uh, racial issues, ones of justice and injustice, and what this kind of creating in our culture. This is a this is a powerful time, and I think an important time for the church to think things through to make sure that we are following Jesus in what he's called us to do, but also in what Jesus modeled. Uh, one of the things that Jesus did is he had no problem engaging with culture. He had no problem having Q&As. And if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, uh, he was interacting. And so we're going to follow that model. And so uh, we want to engage our culture, our community. Um, we want to engage with wisdom. We want to engage with humility, and we want to engage with love, because that's exactly what Jesus did. And so that starts today. And so what I'm going to be talking about today is, uh, is how do we find clarity in the midst of confusion? Because what I'm finding is I'm talking to people, and this is people everywhere, cross-culturally, is there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of anxiety there's a lot of ideas, there's a lot of information, there's all this stuff going on. And so what I want to do start today is before we start engaging, having discussions, or we just kind of don't know what to do, we can be paralyzed. Um, I want to kind of lay out some ways that we can really follow Jesus, be an example, exemplify Jesus, because no matter what's going on in our culture, we want to honor Jesus. Because as we engage with culture, we want to we show him as savior, as king, as peacemaker, as comforter. He is all those things. And so we want to be able to usher in just hope and love and uh, salvation. And so I want to start with that today. That's where we're going to be going. Uh, I will be taking questions. And so Christine, my wifey, is here. Uh, and so if you have questions and I have time, uh, I'd love to be able to answer those today or even if I need to take some time and think to be able to get back to you. So maybe some of these questions can be used um, for what we're going to be doing in the future. Uh, next week, we're hoping, it looks like we're getting everything scheduled for a panel discussion of a people that come from a variety of, um, of life as far as just culture, as far as just different jobs, as far as different socioeconomics to kind of come together and begin that discussion so we can be learners, we can be processors, and again, discussing before we make decisions. Um, and so we're going to be doing that next week. And so uh, if there's any questions today, that'll help us with that panel or things I can answer today. It'd be great to interact. So I might be looking over there. She might get my attention. There's a question. So uh, just be aware. We want you interacting. Make sure you're logged in on the YouTube account uh, to be able to do that. And so we, we would love to be able to hear from you. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to look back before we look forward. Uh, many of us, when it comes to the civil rights movement, uh, we know of it, but we haven't really um, engaged with it. And so this week and over the next few weeks, I'm going to be playing different videos, different speeches, different debates to remind us that here's what can happen. Events happen, and we think we're the only ones to experience it. This has never happened before, uh, that uh, this is unique, and we're looking for answers. We're looking for um, philosophies to hold on to. We're looking for direction, and there's been people in the past that have already been through this, 
uh, that have done a phenomenal job, that have led communities through it, that have led churches through it, that have led culture through it. And so I want to go back to an important time. Uh, it's a popular speech by Martin Luther King Jr., but it's one that some of us know of, but we never really heard the whole speech. So here's what I want you to do right now. Get comfortable, settle everybody down, and we're going to listen uh, to the speech that was, what, over 50, 60 years ago, but it's still important in our time today. Listen to the words. Listen to an important leader uh, as far as um, how he said things, what he said. Uh, it's going to kind of give us context for our discussion today uh, as we open uh, the Word of God, and I think it's going to be helpful uh, for us. And so as we do that then, afterwards, I'm just going to do a short teaching, and that I think will be beneficial and helpful for us and hopefully strengthening to us. And then as always, we're going to end with worship, and that's a time to kind of contemplate and say, God, speak directly to me. Like, let me just slow my heart and mind down and kind of speak directly to me um, in what he might want to say to you this morning. So um, let's go ahead and transition now uh, to uh, a vital important and one of the greatest um, speeches uh, in our history in the United States. The pleasure to present to you Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation this momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity, 100 years later. The, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition 
In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the Bank of Justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. So we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. We have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time <laughs> to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time <laughs> to make justice a reality for all of God's children. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment, this sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until that is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. And those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. <laughs> there will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro has granted his citizenship rights.
The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. But that is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice in the process of gaining our rightful place. We must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied. As long as our body is heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not my unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom 
left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. Go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities. Knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friend, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. And every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith. We will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, 
we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. And this will be the day, this will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the crevaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. It's pretty powerful. Um, I remember in a, in a college course, we watched that whole speech, and many of us had never, um, never seen it, never heard it. Um, I think it's still relevant today. The beauty of Martin Luther King Jr.'s leadership is that he had a little bit of something for everyone. It's a great reminder for us today. I think it, in really two ways. It's, it's sobering, but it's also encouraging. Um, the issues that America was facing back then, especially in certain areas of our country that would, would be more hot spots, still as a country overall, but certain areas um, where literally he was fighting for, um, for African-Americans as they were traveling, there's hotels would just say, no, you can't stay here. I mean, just so, so blatant um, and so demeaning. Um, areas for whites only and blacks. Um, and so just this overt, powerful, um, demeaning and discrimination um, that we can't forget, but we also can say, wow, we've, we've come a long way. We, we, we can't deny that. And that's good. Um, that's hopeful. That's encouraging. Um, at the same time, there's still warnings because we're people. There's sin nature there. And even as culture changes, all of us have this, this sin nature. And uh, so we'll always be constantly going back to helping those with the least amount of power or no power against anyone that's in power. 
And then unfortunately, it's still all around the world, um, making sure that we're vigilant and diligent with wiping out uh, racism and uh, injustice uh, in our communities and in our nation. That'll be constant. Uh, he has wise words for us today. Um, we know where he would stand, and I think it's words that um, cross culturally for us to meditate on and to think about. He, Martin Luther King Jr. would have something to say about the riots. Let's not kid ourselves. Um, he'd also have to say uh, something to anyone who is like, Let, "Let's just move on. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about it. It's uncomfortable." He'd have something to say to that person. He'd have something. Uh, really to say to everybody. And so I hope that that's a speech that, again, can set some context for us. Um, and I love how he unites us in this, that we would make judgments on anything we see with police officers in the African-American community, Hispanic community, white community, Asian, all of it, that this is how we make judgments um, as far as on the content of character, not on the color of skin. And when we, when we only make decisions on the color of skin or on someone's position, not the content of their character, what really happened, who are they really, um, we're always going to, we'll, we'll be a divided country. Hopefully we can unite. And one of the things I enjoy about Martin Luther King Jr., he has this ability to call out a country, but at the same time to say, hey, this country is amazing as far as the ideals it professes, even if it hasn't lived up to it. He does a phenomenal job there. And we need that today. We have to be able to honestly look at our culture and our country and say, where does there need to be improvement? Where are we not living up to these standards without diminishing what this country is and, and the ideals and the, the, the promises that it makes for all people? Because it really is phenomenal. It's very unique in human history, this country, and it's still unique in our world today. And so how do we have critique without becoming cynical? Um, how can we be sober-minded and realistic, but also hopeful and encouraged? We've got to hold all those things. Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, um, it didn't start with him. It was inspired by another. Let's not forget that uh, everything from him came from his um, spiritual perspective. Um, he was a reverend. He was trained in theology. He preached many sermons that didn't have to do just with race. Obviously, that was a huge part in his time, um, but he preached many sermons and, and amazing sermons too. Um, he was inspired by his relationship with Jesus. He was inspired by the word of God. And why is that? Well, because Jesus was one who confronted, when you look at the Bible, and I encourage you, when we go through times culturally, and we, we did this not just now because some people are like, oh, well, why, why are you speaking now? Well, first of all, we've, we've spoken on this uh, before. This isn't the first time. We speak on many things. The Bible has things to say about many aspects of life. And we want to hit all those. Um, and so he, Martin Luther King Jr. would do the same thing because of who he saw in Jesus. And, and Jesus confronted oppression and those that were ostracized often. Uh, back then in his culture, if you were sick, if you had leprosy, you were literally ostracized and put into, um, really it was like the slums and you were pushed off there, and you couldn't interact with people, even your own family. And Jesus confronted that. And so when you read the Gospels, I encourage you to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the biography of Jesus. And sometimes that's great for us to read Jesus with different lenses on. 
and so when it comes to what we went through or what we're still going through with the coronavirus as far as what happens when there's catastrophe, what happens when there's fear, what happens when people are unsettled, read the Gospels. How did Jesus handle that, people that were fearful uh, of people that were living in chaotic times? How did he interact? Uh, when there is injustice or when there is oppression or when there is people being ostracized or dismissed, how did Jesus handle that? And so you can read it through that lens. And God can really speak to you that way. And so we see that with sick people. And, and so when Jesus, it's very significant, when he touches someone with leprosy, uh, that would have been thought as insane. And so when God comes, he's teaching us. He's showing us, saying, this is my heart. This is what I desire for you. This is what it means to love. This is what it means to care. This is what it means to truly be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so we see how he treated people who were sick and who were ostracized. He called out um, people who were ethnically outcasts, right? Racism. Um, back then, the huge thing was for uh, Jewish people not interacting with Gentiles or non-Jewish people. You see that. Even more so with Samaritans or what they would call half-breeds. So maybe the mom or dad was Jewish and the mom or dad was Gentile and they would marry. And that was just thought of as like, no way. Uh, in fact, um, if you were really considered as far as uh, a real, you know, strong person of Jewish faith, if there was a town that had a lot of, you know, Gentiles or Samaritans, you would walk around. You wouldn't want to even interact, look at. I mean, just, and what did Jesus do? He went and he interacted. And he went and he loved and he went and he discussed things. So when you read about uh, the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, that's so significant. Uh, Jesus engaging culturally and calling out certain cultural things. And so that was just, again, unheard of. So that was significant when you read things like that and how Jesus interacted. Um, women, the way Jesus treated women, uh, bringing them on his leadership team of the, uh, the hundreds of people that followed Jesus for years, um, many were supported. There was, uh, Jesus was supported by women. And so for them to travel with him was just groundbreaking. Children, uh, children were thought of as far as uh, back then. Um, you loved your children, but you needed them to have security. You needed them to have stability. They were your retirement fund. It's <laughs> so much different than today. And that's why when you read about uh, the disciples trying to shoo away the children, and Jesus said, no, 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 let the children come to me. In fact, you should, you're gonna, if you want to be a Christian, you have to enter into the kingdom of God with childlike faith. Now, not childish faith, childlike faith. And so Jesus was giving status, humanity to children that were viewed at as, in some ways, kind of property. How did Jesus deal with the uneducated? Again, they were overlooked because they didn't have education. They didn't go to the, the right schools, the poor, even the demon-possessed. We read about uh, in John about uh, a man who was demon-possessed, and it said that he was chained in a cemetery. Now, stop. That's where you get into the story. That means he was in a, a village or a city, and that rather than trying to help him, let's just put him in chains out in a cemetery and leave him out there. And you didn't hang out in cemeteries back then. The dude was on his own, and Jesus came, set him free. Again, there's just so much there that Jesus shows us. Today, we are an extension of Jesus and the vision of Martin Luther King Jr. We are an extension of that. May we not forget that. So we need not be fearful or ambivalent towards what's going on today. We need not be combative 
And at the same time, we should not be passive. We can be civil, thoughtful, prayerful, hopeful, and most of all, we can be united. And that's the goal today, is really to unite us so we understand our role in our culture, we understand our role in our church, and we can handle things, again, as we've been reading when we started Colossians, um, we can, maybe we need to go back and read the first few chapters, that this is a new world order, and so we're not looking to win an argument, we're not looking to push our agenda, we're saying, how can we honor Jesus, because this is, it's about him, and when I give my life to Jesus, now I want to honor him more than my political bent, more than my philosophical views, and even beyond my own culture and experiences. Next week, we're going to look at the specific issues um, of justice and injustice, uh, power, um, uh, relationships racially, um, racial disparity. We're going to look at all those things. It's going to be a good discussion. And I hope that uh, we humbly listen um, and that we practically love from it. Uh, We're going to be looking at topics that are awkward to talk about. Um, You guys know me. I don't mind a little bit of awkwardness. Jesus didn't mind a little bit of awkwardness, difficulty, um, uneasiness, right? It's okay because that's where profound learning and changes and and, um, just some beautiful things can come out of that. So we're going to just kind of slow down. And we're going to listen to Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus. We're going to learn from him. And hopefully we can represent him well. So today we want to set some parameters um, so that we're ready for this. So that we're ready as a church. We're ready that um, in ways you're going to engage with people, that you're ready, that you're prepared. I want to equip you today, okay? So uh, the, the talk today, if you have a piece of paper, a pencil, um, there's no note sheet uh, on the website, so maybe just write this down or grab an old note sheet. But the topic of today is finding clarity and confusion. The reason I named it that is because um, I think there's just a ton of confusion. Um, everybody's uncertain. Everybody's uncertain as far as just what do people think? Um, there can be fear there. And what if this goes bad, this discussion? Uh, maybe we're confused even internally. I don't even know what I think. I'm hearing all kinds of different things, and that's a good point, and that's a good point. And so I want to give us a process, not where I tell you necessarily what to think, but how to come to good conclusions. Um, it's interesting as far as just even in our neighborhood, I'm noticing we have a pretty diverse neighborhood. But in my opinion, it's, it's, it's uh, kind of the vibe right now is there's not necessarily a lot of tension. I feel like almost everyone's going overboard to be nice, especially cross-culturally, right? And so uh, black people, white people, white people, black people, uh, Hispanics and Asians, kind of everybody's just like, I don't know what people view. Do they like me, not like me? And so I feel like people are waving more and smiling more. So maybe that's good in our neighborhood. Um, but you can just kind of tell. It's like we're not normally interacting that way, but everyone's, everyone's much more aware. I'm just being like, hey, we're good. Hey, smile. Hey, wave. Um, I, I remember that uh, just a, a few weeks ago, talking to um, someone that uh, when it came to, what was it? It's called Blackout Tuesday, right? Um, and that when that was going on social media, where I was talking to her and, and she was like, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. 
Like if I if I post something, what are people going to think? Like am I you know am I being radical? Um, if I don't post that, I don't care about minority groups. Like just even on social media, it's like ah, what do I do? So I want to be able to begin to help with maybe with some of that today, and hopefully the Word of God will guide us in that. First thing I want to jump into that you can write down is this. For us to have clarity in the midst of confusion, and this goes to all areas of life uh, when we're confused, but obviously what's happening in our culture heightens it today. But the first thing is this, is seek perspective, not just your own experience. Seek perspective, not just your own experience. And again, as I'm speaking here, the Word of God speaks to all of us in any culture, in any circumstance, in any positions. Police officers, not a police officer. In an area of authority, not authority. A minority, I'm in the majority. Black, white, brown, everything in between. The Word of God um, is cross-cultural and it, uh, it hits the heart of all of us. And so for all of us, it's to seek perspective, not just our own experience. Proverbs 18.2 says this. And by the way, as far as how to handle things, two things I'd encourage you with is read the book of Proverbs. It was written to help um, people handle life wisely, to handle it well, to handle it successfully. It's really a, a book of just wise sayings of if you want to do life well, here's some things to think through. So it's specific for that poetry to give wisdom. And then also the Gospels, the life of Jesus. Proverbs and Gospels are a great thing to, to read through right now. Proverbs 18.2 says this, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. Are we seeing a lot of foolishness today? We're seeing it in the church and we're seeing it outside the church. And obviously... Uh, it's being exemplified in our news media today, right? We're looking to inflame situations that actually causes more division, that causes more confusion because we take no pleasure in understanding but just in airing our own opinion. Here's what I encourage us to do, especially on the issues that we're facing today. When I talk about perspective, it'd be in three ways. You write these three words down if you want. Historical perspective, spiritual perspective, and um, people perspective, as far as just people's personal views, right? Historical, spiritual, and people. The better you do that, the more informed you're going to be, the better decisions you're going to make, the more clarity that you'll have, and the better decision-making you can be on where you stand with certain issues. That's why I played this video. Nine out of ten people that I've talked to, and this is of all races, I've had a ton of discussions. This has taken up the majority of my time, and rightfully so. Nine out of 10 people not even heard the whole speech of Martin Luther King Jr. They've heard snippets, or they, actually they've even had assumptions that weren't even correct. So actually expressing your opinion when your opinion isn't even based on something that actually happened, that's even more dangerous, right? And so I want us to get a historical perspective on a speech that was um, transforming at the time and still, I believe, transforms us today as a people and as a nation. You can go back even more as far as the Bible, I believe, is the best historical perspective of any book. You guys know how I believe that the Bible is the most accurate, the most influential, and the most comprehensive historical document that we have. We have uh, of books written in antiquity 
and I'm talking from several hundred years to thousands of years ago, we have more manuscripts to validify or to validate. I'm making up words again. <laughs> I like that word, validify. I haven't used that in a while. My wife's laughing at me. <laughs> Even Andrews, if you could see him behind the camera, he's like, but to validate, right, um, history, there's no other book. We have so many thousands of copies. And when we look at other historical documents, we have maybe five, six, seven, eight of them. So you know how I believe in the Bible is the best way to get a historical perspective. Because here's the thing, when it comes to justice, injustice, when it comes to racism, when it comes to people's sinfulness, it's all there in the Bible. But we got to get in it to see how God views it. What does God say about it? What do we learn as far as man's, uh, you know, constantly repeating of our same mistakes? We constantly repeat our mistakes. Why? Because when we don't want to look back at history, we make the same mistakes of history. It happens all the time. This is why Jesus also, when you read the Gospels, you'll notice he goes back to Old Testament a lot. He'll quote the Old Testament, or he'll give stories, or he'll say, uh, take them back to the Old Testament. He's giving them perspective. He's saying, look back at history so you can actually learn for uh, today. And so um, having more, the more historical perspective you have, again, the greater clarity you're going to get because uh, every generation thinks they're the only ones that go through everything. They're the only ones that go through a, an economic downturn. Even what we went through when, when our society kind of shut down away, in some ways, many of us in our generation or multiple generations haven't been through it. But other countries have gone through it in, in our nation's history. We've been through it before with other pandemics. So, again, there's nothing new under the sun. And the more we remember that, we cannot get caught up in the hype of this is new and there's new ideas. And no. And there's people that are just as wise 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years ago. Okay, It's not like we've evolved and we're smarter today. There were plenty of smart people back then. And maybe in some ways, uh, we're de-evolutionizing. We're getting dumber. Because there's people that have brilliant things to say that we can learn from and get context. The other thing, though, is spiritual. Um, having a spiritual perspective puts everything also into context as far as the Bible's clear that, that uh, we're fighting against um, not flesh and blood, but um, spiritual principalities. Now, unfortunately, if you watch the George Floyd um, memorial service, it, it, was, it was hijacked with certain perspectives. And unfortunately, uh, scripture was used and was absolutely massacred for political reasons. Um, the scripture uh, in that context is that, listen, the true battle isn't black and white and brown in social economic classes, that there's spiritual forces going on here. And we're in a spiritual war. And that's where as a church, we have to be reminded of that. And so there's a spiritual perspective here that when we see things inflamed up in relationships, in marriages, with kids, when we see things inflamed in division and chaos, um, in our communities and culturally, that there are forces behind that. And it's not just forces in me as far as like Star Wars force. I'm talking about beings. The Bible talks about how they're fallen angels. They rebelled against God and they come to destroy us. They come to divide us. Um, they come to diminish us. They come to do that in marriages. They come to do that in our families. And they come to do that in our communities. And they come to do that in our churches spiritual perspective racism there's actually even deeper things that spiritually we need to take care of that that's just the symptom it's not truly the virus and the bible talks about how to cut things off at the root 
rather than just kind of prune it, but it's a tree that's dying. And so a spiritual perspective is, is really important. Uh, the third thing, though, is just to seek a perspective, not just your own experience, as far as other people's perspective. This is, where, this is why we're doing the panel. It's important to talk to different people, to be like, oh, okay, um, that helps me to understand then why you would view things that way or why you would make those kind of decisions. And so the more we can hear these variety of experiences, it helps us to come to better conclusions, to better decision-making, whether ourselves personally or when, within our uh, communities. I want to encourage you with this, though, is that um, a discussion is not just throwing up a question on a post. And it's not through social media. That's one of the worst ways, especially when it's written, to have a discussion. Um, and that's where it can get inflammatory real quickly. And we're not able to, to read body language. Um, we're not able to truly ask follow-up questions. Uh, and so throwing things on social media, um, it's not really the, base, the best way to have true discussions where we're trying to really come to good conclusions and interactions and develop stronger relationships. And so I encourage you, if you're going to get in discussions with people that are going to be healthy, there's three questions you got to ask. And this is what I ask myself in all the discussions to make sure that we're on the same page. The first thing is this. Uh, are we listening to each other? Are we discussing something? Or are we debating? Those are three different things. So are we listening as far as um, someone just wants to be heard? They don't want to discuss it. They don't want to debate. They just want to be heard. They want there to be empathy. They want, they want there to be understanding. And so I think this is a good time to make sure we even clarify our discussions. Uh, I even do this in our marriage. I mean, again, this applies to all areas of life. Uh, if Christine's frustrated, uh, sometimes I'll ask as far as, am I listening? Am I going to be praying? Or do you want my opinion? Like, I need to know. Otherwise, this is going to go bad. So she's just kind of expressing herself, and I'm trying to solve the problem, and she doesn't want that. Whew, it's going to be a long night. And so clarify what kind of discussion we're in. Some people just want to be able to express. They need to get things out, and that, that's okay. Some people want to discuss. They don't want to debate. They just want to kind of discuss as far as um, them hearing from you, you hearing from them, and other people, they want to debate. They want to try to clarify ideas. They want to try to, try to see if we can come up with a solution or things like that. Know what kind of a discussion you're in, whether it's in your family. Um, and I would even say parents with your kids. Um, if your kids have a certain view and you sometimes want to just like, no, no, or smash it, they might not want to be in a debate. Um, or maybe they do. Ask questions before you engage in discussions. Another one is, are we seeking truth or just ideological protection? That's a good question. And what I mean by ideological protection is, is that I have a certain idea that I'm going to hold on to no matter what. A certain idea about race, a certain idea about police officers, a certain idea about social economic classes, a certain idea about um, urban areas, um, all these kinds of things. What happens is many times we have an idea, it kind of makes sense to us, or our parents told us, or we heard it in a college class by a professor, and it kind of resonates and we just hold on to it. And what happens is truth sometimes will shake that up and we don't want to hear truth. And so those discussions usually don't go well. Uh, most discussions on just, you know, like on TV and stuff like that, those are um, ideological protective um, discussions. And that's why you see they don't go anywhere. It's just this and people are throwing out this and throwing out that. And nobody wants to say, I, I really, I'm okay with moving in my position 
but I want to seek truth. And not someone saying, well, that's my truth. No, 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 no. Nobody owns truth. Truth is there and we have to seek it. Truth is not always just a perspective. And so uh, that's really important. Um, I find that if I'm talking to someone and I can see that, that they're, they're rooted in an ideological um, kind of protective position and, and you know this as far as when you begin to bring things up as far as, well, what about this option or what about these specific numbers or things like that, um, you can see when there's an emotional reaction or um, there's just a denial of it. There's no reason to keep going because now we're going to inflame it or cause a greater division. Um, and when I see that, then uh, what I know is maybe we need to go back and maybe there just needs to be listening. Um, maybe there's more of an emotional connection there as far as their experience. Um, and so we just have to navigate that with, again, with wisdom. The key thing about a discussion, discussion is never forget that, um, that we're talking to people. And let's not think the worst about each other, but let's try to think the best and really love each other through these difficult discussions. Uh, the third thing is this, is um, are we clarifying solutions or amplifying division? One of the things you're going to see next week is we're going to start off the discussion with what are all the things that we agree on? Many times it's never talked about. So there's this, uh, uh, you know, kind of a supposed division between us, but there is no division. We're actually agreeing on 80% of the things, 90% of the things, and maybe just about a 10 or 15% disagreement. Maybe. I'm just saying, are we coming to say what are solutions, whether it comes to um, making sure that uh, police officers that they're able to do their job correctly, there's a reason for them, uh, but also that the way they interact within certain communities, that there is um, value to those communities too and understanding in the midst of that. Um, so are we seeking solutions or are we just trying to amplify the, the, maybe the division uh, between them? Uh, same thing when it comes to racial reconciliation or racial equality. And so... Again, just helping our minds as far as are we solution-oriented or are we divisive? And again, we're seeing that constantly in our media, and sometimes we can kind of buy into that. Um, the Bible's pretty clear on this kind of stuff. Let me bring up some passages for you. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end um, is the way to death. There is a way that seems right to a man. So this seems right. This way of solving it seems right. My perspective seems right. My ideology seems right. But it says, but in the way, it leads to death. So just because something seems like it, oh yeah, that seems like it. Well, okay, but let's slow down because it could end in death as far as personal, emotional, relational, or even in physical deaths. So ideas are powerful. Uh, and so what we want to make sure is, though it seems right, is it right? The solutions we're coming up with, the perspective that we have. This is why I said from the beginning, again, when people are like, the church needs to respond quickly. You need to have an opinion. Whoa, slow down. Sometimes it's good to be quiet. Sometimes it's good to kind of take our time and making sure that we've thought it through, that we say it correctly, and because there's consequences there. There's unintended consequences too, that we can either breathe life into a situation or we can actually cause chaos or bring death into a situation. Proverbs 18.15 says this, An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge. And the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Acquire 
and seeking? Are we a people that we think we already have it all? We, we've heard it all. I took a college class. I had a discussion with two people. I know it all. Or is it, no, let's, let's be humble about this, that we can always add to our knowledge and perspectives and making sure that, again, that we're coming from this with um, intelligence and wisdom. Proverbs 18, 17 says this, the one who states his case first seems right until another comes and examines him. The one who states his case first seems right. Right, we hear something, oh, that seems right. We see a post, someone says something, it's like, oh, yeah, that, that seems right. And then you talk to someone else like, oh, and, then, and that's where some of us, we kind of go back and forth and back and forth. But that's important to, um, this is why our justice system is set up the way it is. That someone can state something and this happens all the time with juries, right? And it's like, whoa, like, man, it, it looks like there's gonna be a conviction or not a conviction. And then you hear the defense, and it's like, oh, they didn't, they didn't say that. They didn't put that in there. And so hearing both sides of things or hearing multiple perspectives on things really helps you to come to good, um, how to have good judgment, wisdom, and to know how to address things. And again, whether it's in your own mind and heart, whether it's in your home, whether it's in our church, or whether it's in our community. Christina, are there any questions? Yeah. Okay, we're good. Absolutely. All right. So I'm getting encouragement. No questions. I'm getting encouragement and love. So, and I'm hoping to guide us as a church. My responsibility is to guide us well, shepherd us well through these times. That's that's what I'm hoping to do, and that the Bible gives us the ability uh, to do that. Um, and again, what I'm hoping to show is that this is not a popular opinion outside the church to speak, seek perspective, not just your own experience. Right now, everyone's just trying to shove their experience in there. It can really convolute good decision-making. Um, and we see this at the highest levels. We see this right now. I think a lot of mayors and governors, probably even up to the President of the United States, they're struggling um, if they don't stop and get perspective and they just immediately make judgments, right? We see a video, uh, it just happened this morning, opened up and there's another video um, between a, a police officer and a black man. And what happens is we jump immediately fire this person, do this, like that. And it's one of those things of, man, but if you're wrong, if you're wrong, you're causing lives just to be crushed that don't need to be. And that's the whole thing within our just, and what Martin Luther King Jr. was saying is that let the beauty of our country is we let justice take time to accumulate knowledge, wisdom, hopefully if it's done right. I'm not saying it's done right all the time, but we're set up as a country to make sure all sides are heard so we get the best perspective to make the best decision. And so the reason I want to lay this out is we're not seeing this and making sure we're not following the culture, but we're following Christ. We're not following culture, we're following Christ. Point number two is this, on finding clarity and confusion, is stay away from generalizations, hyperboles, and vilifying. Stay away. Stay away from generalizations, hyperboles, and vilifying, which means you probably have to turn off your TV or not watch anything on the internet. Because you got to understand this, that everything through social media and through media in general, it flourishes because it generalizes, it hyperbolizes, is that a word, babe? Hyperbolize? <laughs> and it vilifies quickly. So we're inundated with this. So then we get into it. And all it does is cause angst and confusion. And, and none of us would want to be generalized. None of us would want to be uh, vilified. Um, none of us would want hyperboles against us. And you know this with certain words. When people say all, every, then it's a generalization. 
um, and I've heard this, I'm going to be very specific in certain ways. Uh, now, all white people care about blacks. Well, that's a total generalization. The fact that white people want to protest now or have a discussion doesn't mean that there wasn't concern there before. And so what the, all that does is ostracize. Rather than saying, hey, let's take advantage of opportunity. White, black, brown, let's get in a discussion. Um, all cops are bad. Generalization, it's going to divide. Um, every black person thinks this way, right? Monolithic in thinking. Well, no, that's a generalization and absolute hyperbole where, again, if you get in discussion, there's a lot of different thinking in the black community. It's just not prioritized, right? On media, it's just this lane is the only lane we're going to show. And that's why we have to be diligent. It's not on us to have the media give us that diversity. We need it in our own lives and to create discussions within that. But anytime I hear people say that, and these are words I've heard people say, right? And it's, um, it's not beneficial. Um, again, let's go back to the Bible. Proverbs 12, 18 says this, the words of the reckless pierce like swords um, or like a knife, just stabbing, boom, over and over again, causing uh, bleeding to happen, causing death to happen. That our words, reckless words, we're flippant, we're not thought through, or we just generalize. And it says, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So not just what you say, but how you say it. Are you bringing healing to conversations? Are you inflaming the conversations? Or actually, are they reckless and, and, and they're causing harm? Proverbs 13, 3 says this, those who guard their lips preserve their lives. We need that today. Those who guard their lips, doesn't mean that you're always quiet, you don't say anything, but you're, you're guarded, you're reserved, uh, but that they preserve life. But those who speak rashly will come to ruin. And we're seeing that people who speak quickly and rashly, they're going to come to ruin because they're going to they're be found out to be foolish and, uh, and reckless. Um, Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be gracious. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. When you're gracious, seasoned with salt means just wisdom. There's wisdom there. There's perspective. There's understanding. There's empathy. Then you'll know how to answer people. But when you lack those things, you'll probably become reckless, generalize, use hyperboles, and vilify. And it's not going to honor Christ, and it's not even going to be good for you. You'll lose influence. You'll lose trust. You'll probably lose relationships. And the third thing is this. In the midst of our times now is this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That in order to have the best discussions and gain the most wisdom, make sure you talk to Jesus and seek Jesus as much as you're seeking other people's opinions. As much as you watch CNN or Fox or all those other things, making sure that the Bible is counterbalancing those things. Because again, those are just people's perspectives. God has the ultimate perspective. And when you read the Bible, when you read the Gospels, or when you read Proverbs, remember this. You're seeking out the thoughts of God, the heart of God, and the mission of God. Because God has a mission for the church in the midst of cultural unrest in the midst of cultural chaos. Jesus went through it. That culture was in a lot of chaos then. And so he has something to speak into our lives. And I want you to notice that when we keep our eyes on Jesus, that this is what it keeps us from doing. 
As the church, we are about honoring God, not honoring just one particular issue. And this is really important. We're a Jesus-focused church, not necessarily an issue-focused church. Uh, there are a lot of our atrocities, you know, going around all the time. And so as a church, we have to handle all those things, whether it's racial inequality, whether it's injustices, whether it's a voice for the unborn. They have heartbeats, and there's more deaths from babies being taken through abortion than almost all other murders and homicides and all that combined. The church needs to address that. The church needs to address persecution. There's Christians right now, and with all the news media, we're not even seeing it, where in China, especially in the Middle East, there's Christians being dragged out of their homes just because they're Christians. And this is actually happening in Africa a lot too with tribalism where um, Christians are being dragged out and just killed for no reason at all. The church is going to have a voice on all these things. And the way God has wired us, and as you seek God, he's going to give you a mission and maybe a role in these different issues. And as we all go in these different issues, the way God kind of leads us, then we can speak into different communities and people groups appropriately. And so Jesus wanted to most of all honor God. And in the midst of that, he was focused on that was the main thing that we have to get right more than certain issues. Matthew 6, 33-34 says this, Do not be anxious, but seek first the kingdom of God. Do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Again, with all the anxiety, with all the fears, are we seeking first the kingdom of God? And the kingdom of God doesn't mean just seeking first as far as reading your Bible, but the kingdom of God is understanding God's heart, and also fulfilling God's heart. And so not just what we interact about, but the way that we interact honors God. That's why the Bible says, be humble, right? Be gracious. Um, view others just as well as you view yourself, right? Um, and so not putting yourself above them, your opinions above them, your experiences above them, your perspectives above them, being considerate and all that. And Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But this is the one who is blessed. Those who delight is in the law, the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. This person who meditates on the word of God is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield uh, its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. If we're grounded in the word of God, we're going to bear godly fruit and we'll be prosperous as we engage with culture, as we engage with people in advancing the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man, of advancing the desires of God, not the desires of man. This is why in John, I think it was chapter two, chapter two or three, you have to read both chapters. But it said that... Um, that Jesus did not entrust himself to man because he knew what was in their hearts. Maybe we will not entrust ourselves to the media. Maybe we not entrust ourselves to people in general, but we entrust ourselves as far as when I entrust, it's like I'm giving my heart, my soul, my mind, everything of who I am, give it to God, not to people, not to politics. Give it to God. And that's when we become okay, prosperous. Randy has, uh, has a friend who's experiencing racism. Um, and been a victim of it, right? And so how can he encourage? Yeah, I love and respect everyone. I want to be wise to Yeah, I love and respect. 
You know, I think that's where asking, you guys have heard me say this over and over again, ask questions before you make statements. Just be a person, I mean, Jesus, he asked tons of questions. What do you think about me? Do you think I'm the son of God? Um, You know, he asked all these different questions of people, you know, why do you view it that way? Or what do you think the the Bible says? Many times uh, they would ask Jesus a question and he'd ask them a question. The best way for someone to feel loved is for someone to ask a lot of questions rather than giving statements. And so um, hear about their experience, Randy. Um, um, Hear about what they're feeling, what they went through. Um, You know, and uh, and just that you being there, um, you don't have to give a lot of statements, you know, on that. And so asking questions, I think, is the best way for someone to feel loved. And so, um, you know, if someone's experiencing that, they're going to need to process that. And this is why processing is important. And this goes to any type of trauma. Uh, And I deal a lot with this, especially not necessarily with racism, but a lot of times with abuse because I'm dealing with a lot of people that have been um, sexually, physically, or emotionally abused. Is if you don't take time to process that, whether through counseling or with friends or things like that, um, what happens is that you never get clarity and so that you, um, it can create a lot of angst and anxiety and it can create a lot of behavioral issues because you never get that out. You're never able to really um, grieve it, uh, talk about it, and acknowledge it. And so that can create a lot of uh, issues internally and externally. And so um, whenever we know of someone that's been through any kind of a trauma, we want to ask questions, not try to give a lot of statement and things like that, and just let them kind of get things out. So great question. And hopefully we can use that as we're in these discussions. And what we got to remember, especially as we're um, talking to people, and if we've never experienced um, uh, racism, prejudice, or anything like that, and you're talking to someone that possibly has, um, or definitely has, um, what, what we just got to remember is that we just got to be able to create space for them to tell their story and for them to be able to get that out. Um, and, um, and I think that's where people feel loved. You know, it's interesting. I've been asked, um, you know, Brian, what side are you on? Maybe you'll find out a little bit next week. But uh, here's what I want to encourage you with is that I'm not on any side. I'm above the sides. And this is why. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Um, God sits above these issues. And so I think it's dangerous when it's like, again, we get into ideology. We get into identity politics and even identity religion. And Martin Luther King Jr. remind us. Let's make judgment on the content of character, not the color of skin. We can acknowledge we come from different cultures. I'm not saying be colorblind. We can acknowledge that there's different skin color, but that's not the substance of what unites us uh, together. It goes beyond that. And so, um, so for me, we're not going to be looking at sides. I'm on God's side. And God has a perspective, and he's the one that unites. God is amazing at uniting And so I want to be part of that uniting together and seeing where we are on the same page. And I want to encourage you with this. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 8 says this. Listen, the end of all things is at hand. The end times. Ever since Jesus left, it's the beginning of the end times. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but we know that the next step is God comes back. And it says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Self-controlled, that means clear-headed. That's what that Greek word means. And sober-minded, it means not to be intoxicated, where you're confused and your thoughts are going all over the place. Be self-controlled in your mind and be clear-minded for the sake of your prayer so that you can pray with, with clear-headedness, right? 
Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. What he's saying there is that when you're loving, it brings peace upon a situation. It keeps people from sinning and being out of control. And so our goal here is to love wisely, is to love deeply, is to love with clear minds, clear-headed, so that we can bring people to Christ and encourage people in Christ. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go to accesschurch.com.